Let's thank God. Dear Lord God, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the joy of sitting down before it. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Obviously we're in Psalm 40. It says that right at the top. Now, every so often when you're in, the, when you're in ministry of variety of... <coughs> kinds of ministry, the church or the big house or whatever other ministries people can get into. If someone, if someone of you comes and talks to me about a spiritual problem or something like that, in your mind you're saying to yourself, well this is charming. I am bringing my spiritual problem, X, having a good couple hour discussion with the bishop. Yeah, I want you to remember something. Everybody else thinks that too. And they all show up with that fresh moment, my difficulty, being placed in a situation where we can talk about it freely and scripturally and so forth. Everybody else is doing that to me too. And they're doing it to Jim Wilson. They're doing it to any number of other ministers of the gospel anywhere in town. So the ministers of the gospel end up thinking the world is going to hell. And it is. We, you, you, every once in a while, you probably have the same feeling when something, a bad tragedy happens and then bad goes to worse, then you have a difficulty and you flunk an exam. A kind of a darkness drops over your eyes. About, you become cynical. You become almost nihilistic about things. And sometimes it's your own choices about the way you are. You make your life impossible. And sometimes it's other people, all of them, people just like you, making bad decisions. It's amazing we do not go out and get into our cars and just crash. It's amazing that there's any order in the society at all. Because if you ever talk to anybody, briefly, if they open up at all, you step back in horror at their lives what they think. I think it's a wonderful grace that God keeps society afloat. Flaw and order, prisons, stop signs, because we're all making awful, awful decisions. And patting ourselves on the back. And we're killing ourselves. I mean, is that, I have a little note here to remind me that the illustration I had is it's like poisoned air. Not so poisoned that you drop over dead, but poisoned so that you're slowly killed, like carbon monoxide in your home. You're supposed to put those alarms in because it will slowly poison you. Or radon. I don't know what the trendy gas is these days. You go onto a planet and the air is breathable. You could survive, but just say it ages you rapidly. That's what we're in. We're in a world where sin is, the, is, is almost, we look at, in some ways at sin as a necessary component to the structure of our society. When people tell me how bad some situation is, I just look at them and say, well, it's job security for me. 
Because that's what we do, is we try to deal with those things. But there's an awful lot of things in the world that are resting in the wickedness of man. People are thinking of different ways to tax the nation, you know, flat taxes or whatever. And then somebody points out, do you realize how many people would lose their jobs at the IRS? And a smile washes over your face for a moment. But that would be cruel. A lot of people depend on certain things going on the way they are. So in this collection of bad decisions that is poisoning us, poisoning us all, you've come to Christ. You're on this planet. Everybody's breathing the bad air. Everybody's deteriorating in a way that they don't notice it. But it's becoming evident to you that everybody's looking kind of leprous. You know, and aging quickly. And there's a plant there on this planet. It's like a, a, a straw. It's like a really rapid photosynthesis straw. And it's just pumping out oxygen. And you, you're, one day you're at a school picnic and you're standing by one of those plants and you feel strangely invigorated, strangely renewed, strangely put back together because you were just standing at a, you know, a stream of oxygen blowing away all the poison. And that's what your Christian life in a very basic way is like. You have moved from death to life. He has brought you through something that was killing you. Darkness into his marvelous light. All the descriptions you could come up with. I, I sort of come up with your own illustration of what it's like to breathe in Jesus Christ in the midst of all the calamity that everybody is just shoveling out their front doors every morning. Wake up, throw open the door, and start shoveling their crimes against God and man out into the street for everyone to see and feel. Then there's all the hidden things. And you're standing by the plant, breathing in that oxygen. I waited patiently for Yahweh. Now, I, I, I took some liberties here. Because as you know, the RSV which I use, and many of your Bibles, never translates the name of God. They put the word Lord or God in all caps whenever the name of God occurs in the, in the text. That's just crazy. So every once in a while, it's nice to just do a search for the all-caps Lord and replace it with the name of God, which is the Tetragrammaton, the Yahweh. So I did that there, in case you're wondering, why does this sound funny? I waited patiently for the Lord, it says in your Bible. But it actually says, I waited patiently for Yahweh. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the desolate pit, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. You might like that image more than my strange planet with gas that's killing him and oxygen plants. I mean, mine might be a little bit too science fiction-y. He's struggling through a swamp, looking for footing sinking in quicksand and his foot what's the phrase you use in good English found purchase reaching down he found something to stand on 
secured you. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in Yahweh. Okay, it's a very simple statement. It's the kind of passage you really skim over because it, it's a little obviously good and godly sort of thing. Jesus saves me. This I, you know, Jesus loves me. This I know. I sing about it. Others will believe it. Yay, our team. Did he put a new song in your mouth? When your foot found purchase, when you were standing there being poisoned by the air you breathed, you were standing there in John's Alley, because that's the, always the bar I use, with a beer talking to your unbelieving friends, and he suddenly washes over you what death you're talking to. You love them, but you're talking to death. They're, pro they're projections of life. They're understanding of what they ought to do. I was talking to Olivia last night, Leslie and I were, and, and she was describing a situation she had been in where you know, it was one of those catty bad girl situations. And one of the most amazing, if you've ever been in this situation, it's almost like a scene out of a mean girls movie. The, the, the facial expressions are actually what you would project. You know, oh, at this point they roll their eyes. Say, do people really do that? Yes, they do. Because they're dead inside. Because they're standing there at a bar, trying to make sense of what they've got. They're all dying breathing this air. You've been given something remarkable, and I don't want to make this, a, I don't want you going home with this image. Remember in uh, Monty Python, when... <laughs> the effeminate boy in the tower just wants to sing? That's you. You're supposed to be that. You just need to sing. There is nothing, there's nothing else that's going to do it for you. If you got that whole masculine thing going on, I'm just having too much of a man to sing, thank you very much. And uh, you almost take it as a credit that you can't carry it to him. Because that gives you, I'm doubly a man. I don't understand anything artistic. Do you understand that you were set on a secure place by the living God when you were in a pit? You were drawn out. The clarity of your mind when it comes back to you when that oxygen is rushing through you and all the poisons dropping away. There's going to be a praise song to God on your lips. And that's what's the uh, causation of the many will see, many will fear, many will put their trust in Yahweh. So I want you to be thinking about ultimately what we claim. As you know, you, th this church doesn't have sufficiently insistent views of doctrine that it will make you believe one way or another about the end times or about anything else. We want you to be so wonderfully changed by the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection that you walk out ready to sing about him. That you walk out thrilled about this, not caught up in whatever sort of special all souls stuff there is. But Christianity, 
And you've got to come back and remember what the parts of that are. Verse 4. Blessed is the man who makes Yahweh his trust. The word blessed, you know, has to do with happiness. Happy is the man. Happy. Who makes Yahweh his trust. Who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after false gods. I like that combination. Does not turn to the proud. Because that's exactly, when you, when you don't, it, everything else you would find religiously is you going and building and finding an equivalently dead religion for you to be a part of in your death. When you find Yahweh, you have found the God. And you, your only option is not to try to build it into something. Not to create a religion around it. One of the reasons we don't have much religion here, thank you very much, is people are too good at playing religion. We'd rather have you on your knees before God. The proud are those who go astray after false gods. It's you doing, man doing, what he thinks is best. You heard me say, of, I, I don't mean this to be a Monty Python um, uh, uh, remembrance time, but uh, I, I think I mentioned uh, John Cleese's uh, comment, how do you make God laugh? Tell him your plans. Because you're an idiot. We're all idiots. We got, we got plans and, and, and we're going to go buy clothes that are going to make us look like a certain kind of persona and then we're going to get some sort of crappy philosophy from a social professor on campus or you'll read the most current book by some edgy Portland writer. Oh my heavens. And you'll insist, insist that Doma coffee is better than every other kind. You're equivalent to the, here, hold my beer, watch this. That's what you are. Oh, but the rednecks do that. The people who live in the trailers do that. But that's exactly what they are doing is, I know what I'm doing. I'm doing, I'm doing so well, I'm going to do it casually. Here, hold my Beer, watch this. And you know what happens next. The axe bounces off the log, cold cocks them, and they fall into something, you know. Something blows up in their hand, and they lose three fingers. Everyone is living like that. Everyone is a collection of awful decisions. And they have different ways. They have shaped... I got this. It was, it, was, it was such good advertising, it was bad advertising. In the mail the other day from Banana Republic, may their name be blotted out. It was a four-pager, soft, matte, matte finish on the paper, very nice. A good size, it folded out. Home for the holidays, it said. Oh, these people were beautiful. They were just really beautiful, because that's who hangs out with beautiful people, as other beautiful people. And they were all dressed in such homespun reality clothes, you know, we're in a home with a puppy. They were in a picture with a couple dogs. And all these charming people. And they were, it was so overdone, it was almost laughable. It was a different way of making a claim about we know what we're doing with our lives. 
And every once in a while I look at those pictures of models, and they're very beautiful people, and I like beauty in people, because I'm an artist. And I said, you know, these people are lost. These people are making one bad decision after another. Oh, they live in New York and they make a lot of money. And they're a mess. We're all messes. And the Lord wonderfully saved us. We put our trust in him. We, we had to make a choice between turning astray after false gods. And in many cases, given there's not a temple of Baal down the street, you just caught, caught up in what you are yourself. Your own decision. Verse 5, Thou hast multiplied, O Yahweh, my God, thy wondrous deeds and thy thoughts toward us. None can compare with thee. Were I to proclaim and tell of them, they would be more than can be numbered. Ask yourself the question. Have you even thought through your life of all the great things God has done for you? Wondrous deeds, his thoughts, have you ever meditated on how amazing it is? Have you ever read anything out? Read something for some other religion. Read some ethical treatise by a Buddhist. That'll depress you. Not that they don't say good things about goodness. Read the Dalai Lama, I don't care. Read you know, some famous person that you see on Facebook. You know, the, your friends who are this here hold my beer people they post Dalai Lama quotes saying nothing saying I can even make up something this, this patently shallow read the Bible his wondrous deeds and his thoughts toward us nothing can compare with this this is an ethical moment of genius the same ethics that everybody has, all the religions are trying to recommend the same goodness. We don't just have a means that reaches it. We don't just have a God that provided a path for us to be forgiven and then live this life. We are actually holding something demonstrably amazing. His word in front of us. If you manage to not, you're like that, you know, middle school field trip at the National Gallery where the teacher is desperately trying to get the kids to look at a painting that changed the world and they're flirting with each other. Because that's what you do in middle school. That's what the world is like. They're standing in the middle of God's creation with an actual book, almost like a letter got sent to them, of the most amazingly written, ethical, consistent, historic, philosophic treatise on the nature of man and God, tying in with the world around them, and the middle schoolers are flirting with the girls. Because it's far more important than looking at a Peter Paul Rubens. Do you remember that moment when it came home to you? That, that's a really big painting. That's kind of amazing. When, when your mind was taken off your own pride, 
and false gods that you had built up a, a life around. The proud desire to watch and listen to themselves. You've been in those social situations, right? Where someone comes in and you're talking to them and they are talking about nothing but themselves. Doesn't mean positive, negative, doesn't matter what it is, but it's nothing about themselves. It's a narcissism about it. That's what the proud do. They're about themselves. They're desperately worrying about what's going to happen to themselves. The story of their life is the only story worth them reading. But the humble have realized something. They have to watch and listen to wondrous deeds of someone else and wondrous thoughts of someone else. When you discover, you are humble, when you discover you're not all that, they're all that. And you accept that. You listen to it. You go, oh my gosh, God has spoken. And I can't get to the bottom of it. I, I can't even number the stuff verse, in the verse 5. So you have this moment. You breathe in the air from the photosynthesis plant, pumping oxygen into you. Your foot found purchase on a rock in the quicksand, and you're able to find a place to stand. You've been amazed at all the wondrous deeds of God. You can't do anything but sing. This is where it's dangerous. Because there are people out there who would like to organize that for you. You've just had an experience with the living God, and there's somebody out there who wants to make some play religious time for you to get occupied with. Ways of doing it. Measures you take. Rituals you observe. How to destroy the work of God in your life by telling you that these are the things you should express it with. These are the ways you should say it. Verse 6, sacrifice and offering thou dost not desire, but thou hast given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering thou hast not required. Then I said, lo, I come, in the roll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God, thy law is within my heart. Ah, it's a great new covenant claim. When you find what can occupy you as a Christian, the real Christianity of meeting your God, being forgiven of your sins, listening to him, believing him, doing what he says, you don't have time to bow and scrape before the priest. Even, this, even the rituals that are mentioned in the Bible, sacrifice and offering, God says, <clears throat> that's not how it works. Now you say, <clears throat> Aren't you making too much of this passage of it? Well, Roy, a few weeks ago, preached in Hebrews 10. And remarkably, that what I just read was quoted in Hebrews 10. It's a miracle. I have it even on the side. And the writer of Hebrews, and I say the writer of Hebrews, and I know some of you think it was Paul. That's fine. Jesus loves you. 
The writer of Hebrews says in verse 1 of Hebrews 10, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices which are continually offered year after year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? If the worshippers had once been cleansed, they would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices... There is a reminder of sin year after year, for it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings thou hast not desired, but a body hast thou prepared for me. In burnt offerings and in sin offerings thou hast taken no pleasure. Then I said, Lo, I have come to do thy will, O God, as it is written of me in the roll of the book. He quotes Psalm 40 and puts that in the lips of Christ. One of the phrases is a little different. Instead of, thou hast given me an open ear, uh, it's a body thou hast prepared for me. Uh, it's one of the passages where we know that the New Testament uh, leaders were using the Greek text of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. That's how it reads in the Septuagint. A body thou hast prepared for me. So the writer of Hebrews is using the Septuagint quote, instead of the Hebrew. Now, I want you to be thinking, I made a, I don't make many comments on, on the interwebs, but I did one the other day, I was just saying that uh, when we, when our play religion doesn't make us like the Lord Jesus Christ, we think that we just need to pray, uh, play harder. Rather than giving up on play religion, religion that accretes itself around what you have in Christ is not the path the Lord wants out of you. He doesn't want the sacrifice and offerings. He does not want the endless trampling of my courts, even the evangelical endless trampling of my courts. He wants you listening to him. The faith that Abraham had, he believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. You need to believe God. There are circumstances in your life where you already believe God. You've had some wonderful things come of it. Possibly in child rearing or, or some other circumstance where you had, you know, you had an, an epiphany. As you testify to those great works of God, his wondrous deeds and thoughts that you can't number, remember that he has said other things that you might not yet agree with. Do you believe God? This God, not some God of your making, not some false God, not some combination Christian and small version of you. Because we're here to delight to do his will. He says that, uh, as it is written of me in the roll of the book. When he said, verse here is also in Hebrews here on the left hand side, when he said above, thou hast neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. These are rituals being done biblically. Okay? He says, I don't take any pleasure in rituals done biblically. 
Then he added, Lo, I have come to do thy will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. If you're wondering what the scriptures teach about this phenomena, it's that the law was put away and ended. Abolished. Everything that it expected of the Jew, you are not obliged to keep. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The path to our being made righteous is this encounter with God putting your foot on the hard place, you breathing the oxygen, you realizing the amazing things that he has done, and you cannot but sing of it. Oh, it might be alone, because you might be really stinko, but sing of it. In the shower, sing of Jesus Christ. Now, when we have this kind of, and the writer of Hebrews claims this is a messianic passage, I have told, verse 9, back in Psalm 40, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Lo, I have not restrained my lips, as thou knowest, O Yahweh. I have not hid thy saving help within my heart. I have spoken of thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy steadfast love and thy faithfulness from the great congregation. All those in red, I have told, I have not restrained my lips, I have not hid, I have spoken, I have not concealed. Just like the singing bed. Everybody kind of likes the religious application, the sacrifices and offerings. Everybody knows that you can go to a good Anglican church somewhere on the East Coast. It'll be beautiful, and everybody's there, and nobody's embarrassed about being there. I was talking to Phil and Kate this week. They were dropped by for a visit, and they had been to the Freeze Church last week. And he said, what a, what a joy it was, because the, the, the saints, the Freeze Church, that's that white church outside of Potlatch on the highway, um, just real believers, just really, you know, loved God and talked about it. They said, there have been to other churches where it would seem like the last thing that anybody there wanted to bring up was who God was to them at church. Because being at church is no problem. It's a very comfortable American phenomenon. It'll show up in a Norman Rockwell painting. You're cool with that. It's only when you start getting a little serious about Jesus. When things start to happen in your life and you start to sing songs and tell people about Jesus Christ. Later on in Hebrews 10, it repeats, out of Jeremiah 31, it repeats the declaration of the New Covenant that God's law is written on our hearts as people in the New Covenant. We are the people for whom listening to God was not just an advocated theological position that you should listen to God, but it pulled you out of a bog. It pulled you out of death. It pulled you, just you, not us, you, 
Because that's the first thing you have to answer. The, 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 remember that the issue of Christianity in the world is an individual question. We didn't all get together and all plan a sin. You, at about the age of four, decided you were going to be a wicked little bastard. And you're really good at it. If that is not an oxymoronic statement, really good at being bad. You're the problem. I'm the problem. You've got to find whether or not God's law, this encounter, that bog, was your bog, your need, your secure foot put on a rock. Were you saved? Did you ever realize how much you're the problem? I was talking to a friend about their doubts in the, in the Lord. They'd gotten into some doubts. He said, why is it, I think I mentioned this to you before, why isn't, why isn't God more easy to show or perceive? I said, because he doesn't want you to know. Not because he doesn't want mankind to know. He doesn't want you, personally, you, to know. You're that kind of person. You're the kind of person that he'd rather have not know. And he was looking at me, aren't you supposed to move heaven and earth to prove God to me? No, because he's the kind of person God does not want to have find him. Because you don't seek him. He's got to pony up. He's got to trot himself out. He's got to comb his hair, part it on the side, wear khakis, look nice, get a nice resume prepared for you so that you can hire him as your God. Now, he wants you to be totally confused, not know where he's at, and don't even know where to start looking and then complaining about it. When you realize who you are, in this next few past, next few verses here, uh, verse 11, Do not thou, O Yahweh, withhold thy mercy from me. Let thy steadfast love and thy faithfulness ever preserve me. For evils have compassed me without number. Uh, yeah, I ever felt that, that you know, oh, some of the people I go to school with, oh, some of the people in John's Alley, oh, how can you, oh, I'm wicked, oh. My iniquities have overtaken me till I cannot see. You've been knocked blind by how stupidly wicked you are. You can't see what's going on. You know, you know that. Anybody knows that. It's so easy, you know, lazy people are always thinking about the wickedness of other people. Oh, you're not anxiety-ridden. Everybody else has got the problem. Your iniquities have overtaken you. Till you're blind. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Been there? If you're a Christian, you have. If you're a Christian, you have been to the place where you knew that the bog you were in, the planet you stood on, was not you had been kidnapped and taken to this planet. It's not that bad people had thrown you in the bog. It's you had wandered out there yourself because you handed your beer to your friend and said, here, watch this. I'm going to decide how to run my life. Do you realize how stupid your wickedness is? how blind you have become, 
Because when you do, because it is individual, Jesus did not save the church. He died to save you. We're all gathered together in the church because we're all wonderfully saved. Verse 13, be pleased, O Yahweh, to deliver me. That phrase, deliver me. Blind, your heart failing because of the countless iniquities you have. Just like you cannot resist singing and telling when you know Jesus Christ and Christianity the way it's supposed to be known in the New Covenant, not in the churchified play religion stuff, but the experience with God. You will tell people and you'll sing his prayers. When you come to the point before all that that it comes home to you how blind you are, you will feel the need to get to your knees. Can I tell you that about my own conversion when I became a Christian at a great rebellious age of eight, which was something given my brother was four, and I waited five long years after him, fighting it off, fighting it off, fighting it off. My parents, of course, evangelists, the worst of all possible worlds, an older brother who becomes a Christian at four, and you plant your feet, and you say, there's no way. I'm becoming a Christian. That was a rough five years. Jim and Bessie Wilson sitting there going, did I tell you that? I don't know how much I've told you about this, but we're having family devotions. My sister, little sister, two years younger, Heather, at six years old, has just become a Christian on the couch, sitting with my parents. I'm there, still rabidly unbelieving. Oh, I believed. I just wasn't going to repent. And I got up from devotions, you know, full of myself, and said to my father, well, now you only have me to worry about. <laughs> at eight years old, telling Jim Wilson, you only have me to worry about. And he looked at me and said, I'm not worried. He didn't pursue me. Sometime shortly after that, it was in October of uh, that year, I... Um, after one of these kind of moments, fighting it off and then going to bed. and I was lying in my bed trying to become a Christian, you know, trying to pray the prayer, walk the aisle in my mind. Ever done that? Well, it'll be kind of like a real prayer. I'll just sort of lie here with my eyes closed anyway and call it a prayer and good enough. Realized after trying, now I think it's entirely possible to pray on your back. Entirely. But God wasn't going to let Evan get away. Evan had been fighting it. Evan had just no way in Hades was this going to happen to me. And he wasn't going to be pleased until I got out of bed, got on my knees next to the bed, and repented. And cried out to God to deliver me. You have to. This is what repentance is. It's crying out for salvation. Do you believe this? Have you experienced this? Oh, Yahweh, make haste to help me. Let them be put to shame and confusion altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who desire my hurt.
You're not going to be able to do enough religion to make your life good. You'll just do enough religion to make you a religious, awful person. You have to begin with deliver me. Then you have to seek him. You know, I was reading my dad's, uh, Abby and I were talking about uh, my dad's essay on right and wrong and how to know the difference. Short essay where he says, you've got to believe the gospel, you've got to search the scriptures, you've got to know the scriptures, you've got to be committed to do what the scriptures tell you, and you have to maintain your Christian walk. That's how you become a Christian, you pursue the voice of God, you have it as an intention to do what you hear when you hear the voice of God. And you maintain your Christian walk. You don't let yourself wander off the path. You confess your sins. So you seek to hear him. You begin with deliverance. You seek to hear him. Don't let the religious step into your life and replace the wonder of what it is to be a Christian. I know dear Christians from all sorts of denominations. And they're dear Christians from all sorts of denominations because the walk in Jesus Christ is so much more important to them than whatever religious, denominational, theological move they made. Some of the most high church individuals, my nephew-in-law, Daniel Newman, who's an associate minister at a church outside of London, he's, he's as Anglican as it gets. He loves the robes. That's just... He's not just an evangelical force to wear them. He loves them. He loves knowing all about them. But he's a dear believer. And when you're talking about Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter to him that you're a radical Anabaptist. It doesn't matter at all. That's what we need to be like. We're none of us, yeah, I might be in a church that is more liturgical than others, but that's not part of my religion. I don't try to bring the sacrifices and offerings to God. It's Christ that has been brought. A body thou hast prepared for me. And the offering of that body is what changed you. Don't replace him with religion. You're either going to play Christian or you're going to be a Christian. Let them be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! But may all those who seek thee Rejoice and be glad in thee. May those who love thy salvation say continually, Great is Yahweh. That's what we are, we hope. That whoever gathers together here, even if you're just visiting or, or you're uh, regular, the company of the saints that is broader than this church in this town. All who seek God were to find this rejoice rejoicing, this gladness, this necessity to say, great is Yahweh. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Do not tarry, O my God. No matter how small your sins have made you look, God is about the individual. God is about dying for man's sin. Now, all of us sin, but each one of us is the problem at the level of the one person, not the level of the corporate. If you get this right, if you get this worked out, uh, you really won't think of much else the rest of your life. I mean, you'll have a job, you'll have a family, you'll love your children, I hope. But 
Jesus Christ will be what's on your mind when you wake up in the morning. Let's thank him. Dear Lord, we're grateful for your marvelous works, for your marvelous thoughts. Lord, you have done a great deliverance in each of us who are saved. We ask that you would remind us to stand there, speak of it, rejoice in it, to feel that blessing, to not replace it with other things, Lord. Not be proud and not make a false god and name it after you. Thank you. Continue to be good to us. We're very grateful in your son's name. Amen.